this is the worst potpourri of vulgarity violence sex and bloodshed i've ever seen put together it's a great description put that on the poster <laughs> Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this month, we are ta- tackling one of the biggest genres we've ever tackled on the show, and that is the Western genre. And so last week was our first week in this genre. And Thomas, what do we talk about regarding the Western? Well, we talked about Stagecoach, which is really one of the first quintessential Westerns. John Ford kind of establishing the the visual and storytelling palette for all the films that would follow after Mm -hmm. that and that's that's the idea of this kind of american mythology like the cowboy the outlaw you know the this this outlaw hero that that exists outside of law and order but but still kind of exists as a force for good uh and you know even as so far in the stagecoaches the shooting locations like we talked about monument valley and how stagecoach was the first film to shoot there and then that just kind of became what westerns look like after that so a a lot of the like very early style choices for a western and then from a story and theme point of view just this idea of like the frontier and people settling the west and like yeah it's uncivilized but it's but it's good and it's pure and it's uh you know (laughs) eden almost yeah, yeah kind yeah. of had that idea at the, the end unknown, of stagecoach the, the two of them yeah. adam and eve going off to the garden of eden yeah. untouched by civilization or, yeah. or the government or anything like that <laughs> and yeah and and, and with the, with character wise it's like you with stagecoach because there's always been this kind of thing we talked about last week is that anytime you think the western's dead something occurs that keeps the genre going and mm-hmm. i think with this genre, i think with a lot of genres especially when you're doing, you're doing period pieces I think the idea is how can you tell, how can you say something about today in the context of the past? Mm-hmm. That's a big key with filmmaking in general, not just with Westerns, but filmmaking in general. I think we, you and I, we were in that class in the, the 1990s class where like all of our films we were watching from the nineties were about the fifties and sixties, but it was about what's yeah. happening today. And I think the Western, I think that's the way you keep this genre alive. I think we'll talk about that today. Um, in that context but yeah you have a lot of these kind of characters that pop up in the western that starts off as archetypes and you a good a good filmmaker can twist those in some way we talked about with stagecoach how how ford did that with a lot of those characters that they were kind of just stock characters in the earlier westerns pre-stagecoach of the the local prostitute the local drunk and doctor and then the kind of corrupt the, the banker and and the the gambler and the and these the soldier's wife all very kind of um uh generic characters that became something else and ford with stagecoach they kind of label as one of the first psychological westerns and that was Mm. what brought in the new the new way and as time went on the western has to always reinvent itself yeah I think it's I think it's the the more ingrained the kind of like tropes and imagery and storytelling mm-hmm. of a certain genre are in culture, the easier it is to then play with it and say something different with it. I think we're we're in that period right now with with kind of like art horror and you yeah. know the the Jordan Peele's influence on horror and A twenty four's influence on horror and that's all built off of this idea of like yeah you've seen eighty slasher movies. 
but now we're going to say something yeah much more profound with it and that that's the, the more audiences know the the tropes of a specific genre the easier it is to say something with it and i and yeah. i doubt there is a genre that american audiences are more familiar with than the western it's yeah. just so deeply ingrained from film and television it's so deeply ingrained in the the mythology of the country itself yeah and it feels like a genre too that a lot of filmmakers want to have their stamp of approval on or their version mm-hmm. of in some way if it's tarantino with hateful eight and and django um or if it's a jane campion recently on the power of the dog i think that's a genre that a lot of people want to play with because i feel like nowadays if you're making a big western it, it's because it's almost like a, a, a big name is attached to it in some way either director wise or maybe actor wise yeah. um but yeah so there's a lot of stuff with this genre and we're trying our best to dive into as much as possible with this <laughs> genre and so t- today thomas what are we talking about we are what talking film? about revisionist westerns today yep uh, which is exactly what we just kind of built up to this idea of people as several decades into the the dominance of the western genre these these young filmmakers coming up and saying like i'm gonna say something different with my western yeah 30 years to be exact 30 years to be exact yeah and today we're doing one of the most kind of notorious one of the (laughs) most divisive of the revisionist westerns and that is sam peckinpah's 1969 film the wild bunch Mm -hmm. a brief plot summary after a bank robbery goes wrong the remains of an aging outlaw gang make their way to mexico pursued by a former gang member and a posse of bounty hunters looking for the last remains of the wild west in the rapidly changing times of 1913 uh it stars william holden as pike bishop robert ryan as deke thornton ernest borgnine as dutch ingstrom edmund o'brien as freddie sykes and ben johnson as tector gorch love the names in this movie fantastic (laughs) character names it was uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah and adapted mm-hmm. by him from an existing script by Waylon Green and Roy Sickner. It was shot by Lucien Ballard and edited by Lou Lombardo, uh, who we've spoken about briefly. He, he cut the long goodbye. So we, we yeah. talked about that movie a few, a good few episodes back. Yeah, I think a year ago, I believe is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> go, go dip back into that. Go to, one. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, one. it's still up there. Go, go listen to it. We also have a good poster of Lakeith Stanfield as 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 mm-hmm. like gold in that one. So, Brandon, uh, we've we've talked about this is probably one of our months where you've seen the least amount of films that I've we're covering. Seen, yeah, I have seen the least amount of films we're covering this month. This is why it was kind of interesting to me to tackle this genre, and I have not seen The Wild Bunch until yesterday. So, nice. and, and until this episode. Um, and so I have no history with this movie, except it's one that's always it's always been kind of those movies you're you 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 need to see at some point or whatever, mm-hmm. like that you've been meaning to see. Um, and it's more like when's the, is today that I'm going to watch the Wild Bunch is like the question <laughs> you have to ask yourself. And and last night was that night, and literally I was like playing out. I was like, if I was like I was hanging out with my roommate, I was like, okay, well I have to go now. I have to go watch the Wild Bunch. So let me. Uh, so yeah, and. It, it is it's interesting kind of watching this um and seeing you really see the cultural shift mm-hmm. in the movie it's it's very interesting it's like i kind of label it as if if you, if you want to say that bonnie and clyde uh fired the first shot in terms of 
violence and and kind of the new hollywood movement i feel like wild bunch blows it the hell up in a way yeah. like it, it mm-hmm. it's it just feels like because Bonnie and Clyde, I mean, we were talking to my dad about this because I think he saw it when he was younger and he was like, just like seeing them, the shootout and the inning shootout of Bonnie and Clyde was so kind of memorable because you'd never seen violence like that in a movie. And when you watch Wild Bunch, I was just like, man, I just, it's it's shocking to see William Holden like literally this bloody shootout in, in mm-hmm. the kind of the film's finale. It's a very... um I mean, visceral movie in a way in terms of its violence. Yeah. Um, and yeah, especially because they kind of like purposefully cast people who had kind of yeah Western movie backgrounds. Well, yeah, Western or like old Hollywood mm-hmm. types. It's that's the, it's like with William Holden or Robert Ryan who'd been some westerns before. I mean, when you like think of Ernest Borgnine, it's like I think of Marty or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> before this era. So like, yeah, it's interesting kind of seeing how they're playing with with the genre and with the with the tropes but with the kind of our i guess the time their their view of the western and the people within them Mm -hmm. so but what's your history what's your kind of yeah i i first saw this one in college i mentioned last week i took a western Mm -hmm. class in college and then i think pretty sure this was the last one we watched this Mm -hmm. was the one we kind of talked about as the the one that killed the genre not not in a bad <laughs> way but just you know the one that came along and said that the john ford movies are done yeah we're not yeah, doing it's, that it's, anymore it's kind of the exclamation point at the end of an era and into a new chapter is kind yeah, of yeah we did we we covered the the week before this one we did bad day at black rock which was a few years earlier and is yeah not anywhere near as shocking but is kind of that idea of like hey maybe these like lawless towns in the west it don't fit into modern day society that's yeah. that's not how we do things anymore and that has robert ryan and uh, ernest borgnine in it mm-hmm. uh, but then that led directly into this one which is literally like i'm putting a bullet through the heart of the cowboy mythos yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. so yeah it, it's one I've, I've always really enjoyed um i think peckinpah's a really interesting director for that period and and everyone he made a lot of made a lot of violent films he's known for his kind of violent films but they were all very yeah. different and yeah. and so anytime you talk to somebody i feel like everyone's got a different anyone who does like peck and paw has kind of a different favorite peck and paw film but yeah. I, I i really like the cast for this one i think it's one of those that that is kind of vague kind of open to interpretation in a way mm-hmm. that that invites rewatches which yeah. I, I would say there's not a lot of cowboy movies out there that are open to interpretation no. but um so yeah i've always enjoyed coming back to this one and yeah like you said it's it's one now you know if you've seen a tarantino film i don't think yeah. you're going to be shocked by this but if you do put yourself <laughs> if you do put yourself back into that time and we'll talk about people's reactions to it it was mind-blowing yeah in, in not necessarily good ways when it, when it yeah, came yeah, no, it, yeah it's very much when kind of reading the reviews you sent to me with like Ebert or Pauline Kale and, and kind of the comparisons of the genre or the comparisons of certain films of the genre at that time. It, it is, I mean, yeah, again, to bring in Tarantino, it's like, it feels very uh, similar to the reaction to Tarantino with Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs or really kind of the early stuff. I think now we're at a point where people have accepted 
that's how Tarantino's films are. Mm-hmm. But I think when those movies first came out, even in the kill, kind of in the Kill Bill range, because I know that's mm-hmm. when he you start watching like those uh like those interviewers try to ask him like, how do you feel about the violence in your movie? He's like, mm-hmm. I'm shutting you down. I'm yeah. shutting you down. I'm not answering your question. Um, but yeah, it is very reminiscent of that, and you can see that like, especially when it comes to his westerns later, Tarantino's, it's like there is uh, like Peck and Paws is like a direct influence mm-hmm. to him. Oh, absolutely. Also one rewatching it this time for anyone out there who, who are video game enthusiasts. I think this was the first time I had revisited the wild bunch after playing through red dead redemption two. And I'm like, Oh my God, they took so much from the wild bunch. <laughs> this whole, like, like times are changing. The, the outlaw yeah. gang just can't make it anymore. Like they used to. It's not romantic yeah. anymore. Yeah. It's just real and kind of sad. It feels um, it's, it's a movie where like, they all feel very self-aware is the mm-hmm. thing it's like they i think william holden specifically and robert ryan i think those are two characters that are aware they're on borrowed time yes absolutely and you feel it and they're, you feel it throughout the movie so yeah yeah well let's let's uh let's get into the production a little bit all right do you want to do i know this isn't a director episode but i want to do a little peck and yeah, pop, yeah. yeah. uh deep dive real quick so David Samuel Peckinpah was born in 1925 in Fresno, California. He was raised on his grandfather's ranch. His great-grandfather had been an early settler of California and had turned his plot of land into a successful lumber mill, leading to an upper-middle-class upbringing that still included plenty of cowboy training for Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. His uh, frequent troubles with fighting and discipline in high school led to his parents sending him to a military school, but he dropped out to enroll in the Marine Corps in 1943. Mm. While he didn't see combat in World War II, he was sent to China as part of a Marine unit stationed in Chinese prison camps for Japanese soldiers. Peckinpah would often say that the violence and cruelty he saw at those camps influenced his work, and it also led to his infamous substance abuse and uh, temper outbursts. I think, you know, I think there's something to say, you know, there's that documentary on Netflix about the the kind of established directors who went to world war ii yeah five came back yeah, yeah, yeah exactly and they kind of went to make propaganda and, and they yeah. came back a lot of them came back with kind of darker views, world yeah. views mm-hmm. but they still kind of came back with this like america we did what had to be done hoorah yeah. mindset some yeah, of them. Uh, yeah some of them it, it's still and like then, yeah but yeah. in the seventies, you start to see these guys come up who were, <laughs> were in the soldiers, war. Yeah, who, were, soldiers who were grunts, yeah, and, and they had much less of a positive outlook on on anything that happened there. And I think Peck and Pa, especially, uh, all of all of the violence in his films was just brought about by the things that he saw in his time there. Yeah. After returning to the states, Peck and Pa attended uh, California State of Fresno. He met his first wife, Marie Selland, who was a drama major, and she got him interested in directing. After college, he enrolled in the graduate program at USC. Okay. All right. Fight Fight on. on. Fight on. And got his master's degree, starting to work in television around L.A. After being fired from the Liberace show for refusing (laughs) to wear a tie as part of the set crew, (laughs) he landed a job as Don Siegel's assistant, and he worked with Siegel on five films, including Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which Peckinpah claims to have helped with rewrites on. He also yeah. has a small role in that film. Yeah, Don, Don Siegel, because Don Siegel at that point too, if I don't know what five movies, but yeah, it's like he, 56. Yeah, because I know he, Siegel made a few Westerns in that period. He actually made an Elvis Presley Western that's actually mm. 
quite good um, called Flaming Star. And that's 60. So I wonder if Peck and Pa, maybe not. But yeah. Yeah, I think he finished up with him in, in the late 50s. Gotcha. Um, okay. Because Siegel actually recommended Peck and Pa to some friends as a solid writer. So uh-huh. in the late 50s into the early 60s, Peck and Pa began a successful writing career for the Western TV boom of the 50s. He wrote scripts for shows including Half Gun Will Travel, Klondike, Broken Arrow, and Gunsmoke. Mm. In fact, it was a script that got rejected from Gunsmoke for its violent content that Peckinpah reworked and sold as a pilot titled The Sharpshooter. This would become the TV show The Rifleman, and Peckinpah served as the showrunner for the first season, directing five episodes. Oh, wow. Uh, He also around this time sold a feature screenplay that would eventually be adapted by several other writers into the 1961 Marlon Brando film One-Eyed Jacks. Which is a really good Western because it's so it's an odd one to and again, kind of the early revisionist stuff where like you're seeing Brando in this very method acting style. He's the only film he directed. And then you're in these like big vistas of the old West. So it's this interesting Mm -hmm. mix of these two things conflicting and i mean I, I kind of like fighting to find a place in the movie it's actually a quite quite an interesting kind of film mm-hmm. um, another show that peck and pa created the westerner was canceled after 13 episodes for its grittiness uh, but its star <laughs> brian keith recommended peck and pa as the director for his film the deadly companions mm-hmm. this was peck and pa's first feature uh, but his deal did not allow him rewrites or a cut so he disowned the final product and vowed to not direct anything he couldn't write on. Okay. His next film, Ride the High Country in 1962, yeah. was a flop in the States because of the way it depicted aging cowboys in a violent West. Yeah. Uh, but it was a hit in Europe. It actually beat out eight and a half for first prize at the Belgian Film Festival. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's some pedigree. But uh, it wouldn't yeah. gain any um, notice in the states until after peck and pa's rise to fame yeah peck and pa was next fired off of his 1965 film major dundee after his drinking and temper led star charlton heston who had been a friend of peck and pa's and had picked him to direct the film in the first place to threaten to run the director through with his sword if he didn't shape up wow this the studio eventually took the film away from peck and pa and the eventual studio cut that was released was a major bomb at some point peck and pa and, and heston would rekindle their friendship uh because we still have some letters today that were, that were written back and forth between them. Gotcha. Peckinpah was fired again from the Cincinnati kid after the studio heard reports. He was making it a gritty R rated film just four days into filming. Supposedly they got a, a report that he was shooting a nude scene and they swooped in and took it away from him and gave it to uh, Norman Jewison who completed the film. Yeah. Yeah. Nude scene in 65 is a, it's pushing it. It's pushing it. <laughs> He finally completed a feature in 1966 when producer Daniel Melnick gave him free reign over his TV movie project Noon Wine, starring Jason Robards and Olivia de Havilland. The resulting film was a critical hit and Peck and Pa was nominated for the WGA and the DGA Award that year for TV filmmaking. Mm-hmm. This final success after a string of notorious uh, firings made studios interested in him again and Warner Brothers brought him on to adapt an adventure film called The Diamond Story. While Peckinpah was in development on this, however, Warner Brothers found out that Fox had bought William Goldman's script for Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid. Uh, Warner Brothers had had the chance to buy that script, but had gone with The Wild Bunch instead, written by Roy Signer and Waylon Green. But because they had kind of shopped both scripts, they knew they were similar. So uh-huh. hearing that Butch Cassie was getting pushed into production, 
they decide we have to make the wild bunch we have to beat immediately butch cassidy into theaters so they took peckinpah off of the diamond story handed him the wild bunch script and told him rewrite it however you want we just need to make this movie happen (laughs) he's like great i'm gonna make it so (laughs) violent so he rewrote the script in 1967 so he was working on it kind of right after bonnie and clyde had come out so he was like you know bonnie and clyde was this just huge ripple like sent off all these ripples into filmmaking at that time and he said i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna make it bigger yeah and (laughs) of course he also he had had this idea for years and and this was you know some of the complaints about his earlier tv shows like the westerner was he he always felt he always disliked the way violence was depicted Mm -hmm. in western films he he didn't like the way he he said like john wayne shoots somebody and they just fall off their horse and then they're gone from the rest of the movie yeah um so he always wanted to depict a realistic depiction of violence and morality in the wild west that he thought was more accurate to the Mm -hmm. way things could have been so once bonnie and clyde opened up the possibility to depict that through on-screen violence he he knew that he could bring that into the wild bunch so he set out to shoot his biggest feature to date and yeah. his his first feature back after being fired off of, of two like two, two yeah two movies <laughs> so brandon first time viewer what are what are some scenes that stuck out to you well i mean the opening really sets the tone for everything in this movie oh, absolutely um with this with this bank robbery this kind of violent bank robbery again it's with an old west movie it's like it's it's very clear of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are Mm-hmm. and in this movie it's not so clear it's every every character is very gray in some mm-hmm. way it's like there's no like because you know sometimes you get those like kind of like those outlaw gang movies and there's that one guy in the group that like we all know is evil in some way mm-hmm. like it's oh they're the cold-blooded killer but like in in holden's group there's not really that guy maybe bo hopkins early on but i don't think <laughs> McCall, i think he's just a, a young kid is and that he's just mm-hmm. like he's like a kid who gets a gun he's playing he's playing a game and whatever yeah. i don't see him as a cold-blooded killer but no yeah it's like it sets up the, t- the tone of like what this film is this kind of gang uh and you set the holden as kind of the leader and then you have the other side of the robert ryan character and the people he's with and they are they are looks like staging an assault on this outlaw gang and you kind of mm-hmm. see again you kind of talk about blurred lines in this like you kind of see robert ryan is like he is this like sheriff is what you think he is he's the lawman but mm-hmm. he's really an outlaw that's had to turn to the law in order to not become an outlaw anymore because basically mm-hmm. get time off or something. So yep. again, it's, it's that establishes kind of, again, these blurred lines of who's good, who's bad. Cause Robert Ryan's a very sympathetic character. Like you sympathize with Robert Ryan mm-hmm. throughout. Like when you watch the scene in the, in the bank heist after it's gone on and Robert Ryan's in the bank, Peckinpah has this like kind of long close up of him, And it seems like, Oh, is he our good guy in this movie? But there really is no clear cut good guy. And yeah, you, you also add this idea of like the civilians in this bank robbery. Cause mm-hmm. usually in the old West, like the civilians will like may run away or whatever, but Peck and Pop puts them in the action and there's innocent bystanders that get killed. There's a lot of collateral a damage in this first A lot of collateral scene. damage in this first scene. That comes back up later, but like that establishes this movie as a very different type Western right from the beginning. 
yeah, is that literally no one is safe, no matter who you are in this movie. And and you you have to imagine like you know even even you coming into it fresh still yeah. had some idea of what it was about. You have to imagine if you're coming into it completely fresh, it opens with these guys riding in. They're all in army uniforms. Yeah, all army. Yeah, exactly. It's all these guys. You know, like like oh William Holden, he's a good guy. He's a leading yeah. man. Ernest yeah. Borgnine, he's played some some he's, thugs. He's, but... It's it's Mikhail from Mikhail's Navy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And and they're all in uniform, and yeah. then they come walking in, and the first line that's spoken in the film is Pike saying, "If they move, kill them." Yeah. And then it goes like freeze frame, and then it's like the Wild Bunch, and it's like, yeah. "Oh, this is this is not <laughs> this is not what I was expecting." Yeah. And then and then you lead into this whole the temperance movement parade. Yeah. Getting just gunned down as as this fight's going down, and 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 it that's something that's introduced very early on in this movie is the quote-unquote good guys are yeah. just as bad if not worse than the quote-unquote bad guys because the the posse of bounty hunters that robert ryan is stuck with are dumb they're yeah they're greedy they're they're they're, they're just vultures they're, the, they're yeah. just out to make money off off of they've just figured out how to do it on the lawful side but they're still just killing people for money and they almost revel in the violence of it all like like, mm-hmm. like when, the, when the whole debate of like who sh- i shot him no i shot him like mm-hmm. they want to like it's it's a notch on their belt of like who they kill like that they they see it as again i said earlier like bo hopkins seeing as a game is like they see it almost as a game like it's a shooting mm-hmm. gallery it's it's like you're at a at disneyland shooting the targets or whatever mm-hmm. that's what they see it as um and they see as like, what can i get out of it and that's why robert ryan there with those characters and this is kind of the conflict a lot of times with robert ryan and not conflict but the, the themes or the 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 code of robert ryan and holden is the like it's for the gang in a way mm-hmm. it's for this and robert ryan is paired with all these very selfish individuals yeah. mm-hmm. and he thinks they're buffoons basically yeah um something i always forget every time i rewatch this movie because you have this idea of like you have that image of like you know at the end of them all walking in with their with their guns mm-hmm. out you have this image of the gang in your mind i always forget how big their gang is at the beginning of this movie it's and big. how many guys they lose it's big yeah in this in this failed bank robbery i mean it, they are a skeleton crew they are used to rolling like 20 deep uh, yeah I think and it's so like 20 they're, they're just a skeleton crew for the rest of this film it's like was it five is it five guys or um five guys well they add Ed O'Brien, edmund o'brien later mm-hmm. yeah. so yeah it's like it's pike dutch uh tector L- lyle on hell and tector. tector yeah yep. and then you add in then you add in freddie and that's that's your that's your sixth guy yeah um yeah it's a very it's a very sparse group at the end yeah um but, but again that keeps going with the idea of like it's the it's showing you they're on borrowed time like they're they're mm-hmm. they're losing a lot of people and there's not much left of them anymore well, speaking of borrowed time the movie opens with this shot of a bunch of kids torturing a scorpion yes they built a cage and yep. they've put a scorpion in with a bunch of fire ants and the fire scorpion ants. is being consumed by fire ants yeah I, I, I that's some pretty vivid imagery for what we're about to watch happen to these men in this yes. uh in this film it, they they are scorpions they are they are outlaws they're people you would think of as being the ones to exploit society but they are about to just be kind of like 
civilization and society yeah. is about to reach a point where it consumes them instead they're being outnumbered is the thing yeah. and that's why i think it's always interesting to again putting something in a time period it's like mm -hmm. 1913 you see on the, you're on the eve of world war one as you'll see later it's like horses are not becoming the main yeah. or, or main source of trans transportation anymore cars are coming in the matter the old west is dying and these are the people who are still holding on for dear life. Yeah, it's it's kind of jarring in this movie when you notice that they're carrying pistols. They're not carrying revolvers. They're carrying, yeah, yeah. you know, magazine pistols. And you're like, oh, I've never seen a cowboy with a with a pistol before. I mean, that's kind of what makes. Well, I won't jump too far ahead, but that I mean, it's the, the very end. That's what makes kind of that moment when Robert Ryan gets Holden's gun. Mm -hmm. It's a that one's a revolver. It's like mm -hmm. again, it's it's a it's an adage of their their old their friendship the old west the the times they are changing is what it is mm -hmm. and and robert ryan's holding on to it um but yeah i know i love this opening i think it sets everything up well do you have a favorite or, or another or do you have a scene that you like as well i i love what peckinpah does with the flashbacks in this yeah which which is um it's i mean they're shot in like a completely different way it's 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 like you're seeing him look back on the good old days yeah. like it's it's hazy and there's colors that we just don't see in the rest, the rest of the, of the film movie. yeah yeah and they're just at this brothel having a grand old time and and the way he like makes their their i mean it it, it sometimes you see a flashback and it's like ooh the haze like doo -doo 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 -doo, and then you're yeah. like oh, okay now i'm in a flashback but like he like echoes these lines that you're like oh i know that that is what just echoes in his head kid, yeah. pike's mind when he's like ah being sure is my job i'm sure we're not going to get caught and that's he just hears that to himself over and over again because he got deep Gorton caught yeah and um yeah, yeah i think that one's really well done and, and then the one he does as well about the woman that he loved the woman he yeah. wanted to marry who got killed that he obviously carries with him physically and emotionally yeah since then is, is shot in a very similar they're, they're really the only like soft moments in the film it's such yeah. a hard movie yeah and and usually these soft moments again it's about loss in some way it's about mm -hmm. him him losing his friend to and almost it, it almost seems like the only times in his life when he's felt like content and happy you know it's just like anytime yeah. he's felt like i can relax for a moment it always it the always, rug gets pulled out from under yeah him. i'm having to jump out the window or i get shot in the arm or something mm -hmm. yeah it's very it's very and that's the thing too. I remember Ebert talked about it. Uh, is that when Ryan's kind of sitting at the end? Is that you've seen all these moments play out in the flashbacks, and so you know that Ryan, when he's sitting down at the end of the movie, is thinking, sitting down for hours, thinking about those quote unquote good times mm -hmm. that he had. Not even just with say with Holden, but just in general through his life. Holden and Ryan are great in this film. Just to mm -hmm. say that it's like Ryan. I might tell this a little later, but like Ryan is a guy who can do so much with so little in terms of dialogue mm -hmm. like he just he has a, the back these guys had faces like these guys just had worn <laughs> faces and robert ryan like almost always had that throughout his career from the 40s and the 60s he almost always had that holden grew into his face like <laughs> holden had holden is like 50 years old in this movie i think and mm -hmm. that man has lived a life at this point in time yep. like it, it's crazy but no yeah i think they're they're fantastic in this film and i think the only thing i wish is that like i wish we saw something outside the brothel and a few things 
of them like actually having a moment. I wish they had their some... heat coffee shop. Yeah, I wish they had their heat coffee shop moment. That's all I was thinking <laughs> is I wish they had their heat coffee shop moment in this movie, and it doesn't really, really happen. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, but no, yeah, I I like kind of the, but the thing is, so they don't really have their moment together like that, but there is this constant like reminder of their friendship throughout because it's the when the guy says like why couldn't you shoot him when robert ryan doesn't shoot holden i mean he shoot he shoots someone else but like when he's trying he doesn't shoot holden the opening of the movie and he's like why why couldn't you kill him then or holden kind of defending ryan to ernest borgnine oh, man. and those yep. people when they're like he's like he's like he he has a code or he, he he had to do it to get out he's just like it's it's how you, it's who you make the deal with like yeah. it's not it's not what the deal is it's who you made the deal with he made the deal I'll, with the railroad I'll, I'll jump around i'll jump around yeah. a little bit that's my that's my favorite scene in this movie yeah, it's I, a great I love, scene i love dutch i love ernest borgnine in this yeah. but that that is in a in a movie that is so vague about its morals yeah that is this one moment of uh, and 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 dutch is as close as you can get to a moral center in this yes. film and yes. he's still he's still a, a, a dirty outlaw but yeah he's got a little bit of a conscience but mm-hmm. yeah he's got that great scene where he he says something about deke you know still because at this point they think deke has killed sykes yeah and and he says that damn deke thornton and yeah and uh pike says he gave his word like that that's the end all be all and and dutch says he to a railroad yeah and he said it's still his word and then dutch says it's it's not about giving your word it's about who you give it to yeah and and that i mean it's like uh, that's the, the thesis of the film everything they do you know with mapachi it's it's like they these these guys and you know we talked about this with michael mann it's it's the one last one last heist and then we're yeah. out yeah but it just even these guys who we we know have almost no conscience yeah it still doesn't sit right with them that they are helping a you know this this uh, dictator basically yeah, this dictator this warmonger who's yeah. who's who's allied with the germans uh get these guns to like kill whoever they want to and yeah. and it, it hasn't sat right with any of them but dutch is dutch is the one who who, who says it out loud yeah and um it's it, borgnine's so great in that scene and the both of them are, are so good but yeah great line but yeah and, and to kind of go, talk about the the mapachi stuff it's like the train robbery before all that like when mm-hmm. they're actually like doing the thing of like oh we're gonna steal the money or whatever and steal the train or steal from the train and it's the whole bombing of the of the trestle mm-hmm. like it's a great sequence yeah and then you know it, it, that's as as much as this movie's known for all this like loud over the top violence it's it's kind of wild how many times have we seen you know cowboys riding up alongside a train and they're shooting at the train and the, yeah. the train the guards on the train are shooting back and instead peck and pause like i'm gonna do this one like completely silent yeah. no one's gonna fire a shot yeah they're gonna steal this train and then and then i'm gonna blow a bridge up and drop six horses <laughs> off of this bridge i'm positive that the aspca did not sign yeah. off on this film i can't think of a way you can safely drop a horse off of a bridge into a river yeah and then yeah and yeah i feel like there are a lot less uh guidelines back and in, in rules to follow in 69 yeah at this point in time um but yeah and again too with these kind of sequences it's like the just the zooms are insane I, i'm a sucker for a snap zoom i love yeah. a snap zoom absolutely love and, it and like when watching this because we'll talk about this thing next week we talk about good bad and the ugly but like this movie feels like a direct response to the spaghetti westerns 
Mm -hmm. This movie feels like that. It's like, because again, those characters are kind of always like a little bit morally like ambiguous in some way. The visual style of it, it's like it's getting more into uh, like I guess even the visually like like hard sunlight is kind of thing. That's very mm-hmm. much in the spaghetti westerns, and that's there's so much hard sunlight in this movie. Like they are, you can tell they're like they're out in the the desert or whatever in Mexico. Like they, it feels it that the, the yeah. sun baked skin like leather. It's like it's just it's yeah. They're, I think it's, I think it's clear when you read a lot of the reviews for this film, just to put yourself in the mindset of the time. I think it's clear that no one was within without, and I'll preface this by saying within genre cinema, because obviously yeah. in, in in drama, people are doing morally great characters at this point. But yeah, within yeah, yeah. genre filmmaking, I don't think anyone in American genre filmmaking was doing characters like this, this this yeah. moral gray era, because every review that almost every contemporary review that you read that was released when the film came out compares it to kurosawa that that is yeah. like the line that everyone dry, draws it to like no yeah. one in the u.s was doing these kind of like despicable characters yeah in, in this way yeah no it's it, it was it was very rare because like, i mean you had westerns that were dealing with or genres that was dealing with like dark material in some way mm-hmm. and like not morally corrupt but but their morals are tested in mm-hmm. a movie it's like if it's oxbow incident in the 40s or if it's high noon like it's done with darker material but like gary Co- it's like gary cooper's still gonna stand stand up and he's your good guy he's mm-hmm. the guy or whatever but this again it's like you don't really know how everyone is and that kind of leads a little bit to it's to the ending yeah. of the movie which is this huge sequence but like it's so violent with like on being or angel on being like drugged through the streets mm-hmm. yeah in the car and then being then his throat being slit when well, by... you just get they're they're watching him being drugged through the streets and all you, pike just says you hate to see that yeah and you can tell he's mad but that's all yeah. that's all he can say he's he's not he's not going to come out with any kind of big speech about <laughs> about yeah. you know he's just oh you hate to see that and then they yeah. go off to the brothel yeah and then they stew on it for a little bit yeah and it's this moment like, and they're, they're yeah they're they're having these moments and then the next day it's like Holden's just kind of like, all right, let's go. And let's they all kind of oh, know. That's so good. And they all kind of know, like, all right, we're doing this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and to go to break down the group real quick, because like I think the entire group is like pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Like Warren Oates, I've been watching a little bit more Warren Oates. I mean, he's just a, such an interesting, really talented, and like maybe maybe nowadays underrated character actor. I feel like he mm-hmm. doesn't get talked about enough. I think the period because like with this with um uh some like two lane blacktop uh i think 92 in the shade i think a movie i just watched recently another because we're doing westerns i was trying to watch from the era uh a movie called the shooting that he's mm. in with jack nicholson really great and it's like three years before this and somehow he looks older in that movie than he does in this <laughs> movie he always looked old um but that's but yeah it's like it's a it's like a roger corman produced movie and like it's warren oates uh uh is is taking this woman to go find this man that 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 she's trying to kill or something or I don't know, she's trying to find this man he's having to take her through the desert to find this man and, and jack nicholson is this guy who's following them and is actually paired with her but really interesting uh called an acid western that's a whole other subgenre mm, of that this. sounds about right for warren oates warren oates and nicholson within a roger corman produced western um yeah it's acid western because it's like you're seeing kind of 
the the drug culture coming into the western in some way um mm-hmm. and that too going with wild bunch too i also thought of like easy rider with this movie too with the way it's edited with the style mm-hmm. it just feels like this specific period from 67 to 69 you're just seeing this throw it at the wall and see what sticks type thing in terms of the filmmaking of it it's just so yeah. radical and how it's being done but no the the ending yeah the ending is amazing and then when they show back up and uh mapachi is like basically oh is this your guy like oh, you want him okay cool and then like slits his throat throws him out and holden kills him kills mapachi right th- immediately and no one does anything they and all the guy, freeze the, all, the guys are kind of like all right we're good <laughs> you get that great you get that great <laughs> smile from ernest borgnine yeah he's like all right maybe we pulled this off everybody's just stunned and then oh such a good moment you just see holden see sees Pike, the german yeah look Pike at that german the- guy and he's and he's said multiple times throughout this movie like i have no loyalty to the american government but he's just he just has this moment he's like you know what if we're doing this <laughs> it's, i hate that yeah. guy too <laughs> it's, it's very it's uh, it's all but again like to go with kind of that morally uh ambiguous character it's like i just i got the 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 thing where like in his head he just goes like ah screw it kill them all like it very yeah. much feels that way from holden like all right let's just do it that i mean it's like he could they could easily walk away and be done with it he's like nah i gotta i gotta get this guy too this guy this it wasn't just one dude that did this it was like he he's the enabler and so he's he's the he's almost the puppet pulling the strings the german guy he's he's the bigger he's he's the mapachi's the symptom but he's germany is the illness at this illness yeah and then that's Um, just and and, and they they know about that like you know they make a they make a statement when they see the car he's like they're yeah. going to be using these in the war so like they yeah. they know what's happening in the yeah. world they know what's on what's on the horizon but yeah no he it's and then that second gunshot goes off that's when it's just like all hell breaks loose yep and then you're just watching body after body just be like i mean it's like ebert talked about it's like they, you're not they're not characters anymore you're seeing just a group being killed but it's almost it's like it's distant in a way because you don't know any of these people they're just like mm-hmm unnamed characters but then it goes back to kind of the bookend what's happened at the beginning it's like this is somewhat innocent bystanders throughout this stuff yeah it, it peckinpah's not afraid to show you how how messy it gets I, there's yeah. that there's that shot of lyle when he's like he gets into a room and he's shooting out the window and he hears somebody coming up behind him and he turns and just shoots and it's a, just you know a woman trying to get out and yeah. and it just keeps going you know he's not like oh no i killed it's just like oh, that sorry that's how that's, that's how gunfights go yeah that's gonna yeah you got in the way in some way and then well, and then, then you had... get that shot with with pike where he kind of lets this woman oh man take cover behind him and then she shoots him in the back and then you have the stuff with the with the kids shooting pike essentially yeah. it's very and, and i know ebra i think someone was kind of bringing it back to the 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 kids watching the scorpion be eaten by yeah i mean there's there's he's it it can't be you can't not see that that peckinpah is saying something here with about yeah kids and the way that they watch adults something about violence and children you know you've got the scorpion at the beginning anytime they're in any of the villages or the outlaw camp or anything we're always seeing kids watch them and you've got that kid that we've seen who like looks up to mapache he's like his little uh messenger boy yeah and i mean you've got the kids that are riding on on hell's back while he's being dragged through the streets and it's just this like yes we're seeing this new generation dawning we're seeing 
you know the modern times come about but there is it's he's like there is still violence in in this next generation for sure and so yeah yeah, you get the person who ultimately brings pike down is a kid but that even kind of goes with the bo hopkins stuff of it with the opening it's like because bo hopkins feels like he's in a game as Mm -hmm. as clarence crazy crazy lee or whatever it's in a game and it's gonna just progressively get worse in a way yeah and it's not it's because of what they're seeing what the people around them are doing. They're being, mm-hmm. they're growing up in this era where at this point, violence in some cases applauded if it's from law enforcement or for outlaws, it's like they mm-hmm. either way, they're becoming heroes because of their actions. And yeah. to them, it's kind of becoming like, Oh yeah, this is fun. This is a fun mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the ending. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the whole shootout just is like body after body. So many blood, so much blood, so much blood for a movie of this it's period. Yeah. Somewhat shocking. Um, I, I, I bet it was when it came out, um, yeah. as we'll talk about. And then I too loved going off of that. It's like, after they all kind of get killed again, I love, I love Robert Ryan showing up mm-hmm. and like, he sees, he sees the writing on the, on the wall in a way of this. Mm-hmm. And the other guys, like, Oh God, we can just get their guns. We can get their gold. We can get this. And they're just like getting their horses and they're just, they're scavengers basically and ryan is like seeing himself as the last guy with this code and Mm -hmm. the fun part is that he sets those people up by letting them go yep and it's sykes and now his new kind of gang of people kind of sykes leading this band of rebels yeah it's like it's the last stand and it's kind of Mm -hmm. the end it's like they're like all right it's like uh, put kind of putting a game together we're, we're gonna go places where do you, you want to go with us and Thornton's just like all right let's go mm-hmm. but like ryan is just you see like all of his thoughts in those moments it gets when you see and i think when he, when he gets the gun because after pike's been killed he's he's still holding on to the um like machine gun mm-hmm. in his hand and uh deke looks down and sees pike's revolver in his in his holster and like Deke doesn't see Pike's face ever. You never see like him looking at his dead friend. He sees mm-hmm. the back of him, sees his gun, and then takes his gun, and that's the only thing he takes from this carnage yep. is his old friend's gun, and he leaves. And it's such like because I was I was wondering I was like man we're not getting a lot of Robert Ryan for a while. Like, he's he's there, but he has he isn't getting a lot of moments. But then that moment like really just like hammers it all home. The whole movie. Mm-hmm. He he is this kind of observer who's watching it, watching the, the this world he knows, this kind of code that he knows, s- slowly or quickly uh, 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 disappear, yep. and go away. So yep. yeah, fantastic. Uh, all right, any uh, any other scenes you can think That's of? That's it for me. Any for you? I know I talked. I, a lot I do. Going. I do really like the. I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, Alfonso Arau, uh-huh. who uh, you might know from. Uh, three amigos or romancing yep. the stone he yeah. had a very very El Guap- good 80s El Guapo. yes and uh became a director he he did the film um uh like like water for chocolate uh oh okay yeah like yeah. Water for, yeah 92 yeah yeah um but he he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie but the the scene where they've they they know that he's that he's coming to kill them and take the guns back and they've rigged it with dynamite and he's like hey no no we're friends we're friends <laughs> and that one guy fires on him and he just like yells up at everyone else to shoot him and yeah. they all like turn on that guy oh yeah yeah no it's great no yeah he he's he's fantastic 
Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into some onset life. Okay. So, uh, though Ernest Borgnine continued to speak fondly of Peckinpah throughout his life, tensions on set were pretty high between the director and it sounds like everyone in the cast. Everyone, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. At one point or another, every single one of the stars of the film threatened to fight Peckinpah. Uh, William Holden sounds pretty early on onto, into the film, observed Peckinpah yelling at crew members and told him that he would walk off the film if he ever saw anyone treated that way again. Uh-huh. Uh, Borgnine at one point threatened to quote-unquote beat the shit out of peckinpah if he didn't <laughs> wrap up a particularly brutal scene out in the desert uh-huh uh but the most conflict was between robert ryan and peckinpah oh i can see that soon after signing on to the film ryan became infuriated to find that despite his uh high billing role deke thornton would not be appearing in many of the scenes of the film yep peckinpah angry at what he considered to be ryan's diva behavior uh, said okay okay we'll work you into some more scenes and then for 10 days straight had him called to set dressed and made up and then would have him sit in his trailer and not call on him for anything that is so petty that is so <laughs> petty uh, this culminated with the two almost coming to blows on set and many think that it's the reason that ryan's name is displayed over the freeze frame of a horse's ass in the opening credits of the film <laughs> oh, <God. sighs> okay uh, the film was shot in a very uh, distinctive style for the time. It was shot on telephoto lenses with anamorphic process, giving it the compressed yeah. focus that kind of puts everything yeah. into uh, into focus. It was not common at the time. And, it, and it's interesting because the DP of this film, um, Lucian Ballard, also shot True Grit, which we'll talk about a little bit oh, later. Wow. It came out a week earlier and was represented kind of the dual opposites as far as westerns could go at the time yeah um but lucian ballard would win the um the yeah the national society of film critics award for best cinematography for this gotcha. so really really kind of cutting edge visuals for it oh wow. he shot the killing uh mm-hmm. and also shot the original parent trap so there you go <laughs> brian keith is just wrapped up in all of this yeah um he's a big, good friend <laughs> of peck and pause as well uh peckinpah insisted that the film be shot in mexico and use native mexican actors this would be the beginning of his fascination with the country that would lead to him living many years of his life on a ranch he purchased there he would also shoot uh bring me the head of alfredo garcia Mm -hmm. in mexico and would his second wife who he married four separate on four separate occasions was was uh mexican as well Wait, on four separate occasions yes yes okay (laughs) yep Four? Um, I, oh wow! And in some places, if you if you get divorced that many times, you can't get married again or something like that. Like, <laughs> can't apparently not in, Mexico. not in Mexico. Um, the film was shot in seventy nine days, which was just a short push over the allotted seventy days um, okay. when they had started. But the budget grew from three point five million to six million by wrap. Um, it doesn't sound like the studio was too yeah. worried about the production of it at any point, especially given Peck and Pa's reputation. Uh-huh. And uh, Borgnine reports that Peck and Pa kept his drinking under control during shooting and kept him to the schedule for the most part. Uh, he said that Peck and Pa only drank on off days, which was pretty rare for him. Uh, but writer Roy Sickner was reportedly kicked out of Mexico because of his drunken behavior in the country. Wow. Uh, and so perhaps because of the absence of his co-writer, some of the film's biggest moments were not scripted by Peck and Pa. The shooting version of the script had large blank spots for the stealing of the train sequence. And okay. the gang's final walk back to Mapachi Square. That was just kind of a like, hey, let's let's get there, let's get the camera set up, and let's figure it out for for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Peckinpah was also very close with his stunt team, 
So they did a lot of work kind of on the train sequence and all that. He kind of relied a lot on his stunt team to figure out the the best way to work some of that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, production of the film would make use of over 239 prop guns and over 90,000 blank rounds, wow. a number which Warner Brothers publicity would later claim was more rounds than were used in the actual Mexican Revolution. I wonder if that's true or not. <laughs> Up to this point in the film, Warner Brothers had a sound archive and used the same gun sound <laughs> effects for all of their Western projects. Peckinpah hated the gun sound effects at Warner Brothers and had his sound team record entirely new gunfire effects for the film the first time it had been done on a Warner Brothers film in decades. Wow. God. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that, that, that Gatling gun needed... Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure tw- they didn't tw- have anything in there that sounded the way he wanted that Gatling and, gun to and sound. Like, and not even just like the gun sound, but also just like the sound equipment at the time had changed drastically mm-hmm. in 20-odd years or whatever. Like, it was going to sound better either way yeah i know you get a wilhelm scream in there at one point mm-hmm. so you get a lot of re- reoccurring sound effects from them uh editing for the film took six months peckinpah brought on his editor from noon wine lou lombardo to cut the wild bunch peckinpah liked that lombardo was young he had come up through television but he wasn't held to kind of the the rules that that the older editors were held to at that point yeah um it was actually Lombardo who had been experimenting in television with cutting together cameras at different speeds. And he pitched it to Peck and Pa before filming. So with this process in mind, the opening scene and the final scene of the film were often shot on up to six cameras, all running at different FPS Oh wow! and cut together from that. So that's how you get these kind of like slow-mo shots. Lombardo was, was a big fan of the, um, somebody falling off shoot somebody falling off of several different ways or whatever yeah yeah yeah. and when shooting falling off and like you never see those bodies hit there's a couple of shots where you see somebody falling off a wall or falling off a building and you just see them falling and then you cut back to somebody else getting shot it's it's so violent the way it's cut not just like the blood you're seeing exploding but along those lines supposedly the first cut of the bank robbery scene came out to 21 minutes it was the first thing they cut wow and they it came out to 21 minutes and they went, oh, my God, we're never going to be able to make this movie. <laughs> it took us 21 minutes to cut the first scene. So um, that's when Lombardo suggested a quicker cut. Mm. So it sounds like Lombardo was very influential on the look of this film. Yeah. The final product, Lombardo's final cut, would contain 2,721 edits for a 138-minute runtime, which is an average of three seconds per shot. Man. And the final shootout has 325 cuts for five minutes of runtime, averaging less than a second per shot. Wow, that's a Michael Bay movie right there. <laughs> um, yeah, Lombardo has said that there are some cuts in the film that no one has ever seen except for him. Like, the, the it's just so fast that it's it, so it fast. can't even be seen to the naked eye. Yep. <laughs> I love that he's very proud of that. Oh, yeah, I can <laughs> only see that. Yeah. Um, so early getting into that aftermath, uh, mm-hmm. very famously early test screenings of the film elicited very strong reactions. Yep. I uh, see that. Legends tell of some of the first test audiences running out of the theater to vomit in the lobby. Uh, early test cards came back from audience members reading, do not release this film. The whole thing is sick. And, and one, one uh, preserved test card reads, this is the worst potpourri of vulgarity, violence, sex, and bloodshed I've ever seen put together great description put that on the poster <laughs> so this sent the studio into a panic you know they wanted this to be their butch cassie and the sundance kid competitor and instead it's making people violently ill in the yeah. aisles 
So they reached out to producer Phil Feldman to convince Peck and Pa to make another cut of the film. Mm-hmm. They were also concerned because they found when booking theaters for the film that theater owners thought the runtime run was a touch too long, mm-hmm. and they said they wouldn't be able to run three showings a night, which which made it a much much less desirable film. Yeah, it ran it ran two hours and twenty minutes, and they were like, "Yeah, we can't we can't get three in." So, the studio reached out to Feldman. Feldman reached out to Peck and Pa, and Peck and Pa said, "All right, you can make a cut without me, but I need to see it. And I need to approve it." So, Peck and Pop put together the cut himself with Warner Brothers staff editors. Although he sh- strangely, I've n- I can't find like an interview with him about this at all. He left most of the violence in yeah. it. Yeah. What he cut were the flashback scenes. I heard that. Yeah, that's what Ebert said. He cut the he cut all the flashback scenes, and he cut the like and and this one is kind. I mean, I can see this one, but the you know I'm sure with Peck and Pop, it's like you you spent a, a lot of money probably outside of the two shootouts the biggest scene of the film which is the the kind of fight between mapachi and pancho villa when you've got those like yeah. artillery shells going off and they're all yeah. loading onto the train to evacuate yeah um so whether this was feldman's call or the studio's call is unclear but the cut was pushed out to theaters without peck and pa seeing it Ooh. and peck and pa ended his working relationship with feldman over that move so the the film the version shown in theaters did not have any of the flashbacks which uh-huh. i can't imagine like like they they still say it, a couple take, of times through the film yeah. that like pike used to run with deke thornton but yeah still takes, you're just like it takes the meaning out of the movie in a way yeah you yeah. You, you don't really get that guilt that, yeah. that pike has over over deke or over like deke, why yeah. he defends deke to yeah. the rest of the gang it's weird weird that feels, again what, that, again that makes me just think peck and pa was petty He's just like, oh, you don't want you don't want the violence. Cool, I'll cut everything out, but the violence is like what yeah. it feels like. Well, that, I mean, that was that was Feldman's cut. That's that's the thing. Oh, like Feldman's he, cut. So I got you. That, yeah, that was the producer's cut. Yeah. So that and it was mind, supposed to clear it up to, you know, make people less, you know, put off. Be upset by, it. by so, the violence. Okay, that makes okay. Yeah. Then, really, yeah, con- really confusing call. Yeah. Yeah. Why cut that when the idea was to cut violence? Mm-hmm. But that also just shows why it didn't do well. Why Peckinpah was pissed is because like it cut. That's kind of the heart of yeah. You cut the, the story movie. instead of the, the blood. Instead of yeah. Um, the film was still a decent success at release. It grossed ten point five million on its six point five million budget. So it was the seventh highest grossing film of the year that year. Can you imagine ten point five million dollars being the sec- seventh highest grossing film of the year? That's that's a oh gosh that's that's a day. <laughs> I mean, hell, and, and for Doctor Strange, that's maybe a, a afternoon, afternoon. Yep. Uh, critical reception was somewhat divided. Roger Ebert recalls the press screening he attended. The critic from Reader's Digest stood up and suggested the film never should have been made. To which Ebert stood up and defended the film in front of Peck and Pop. Uh, many of the most noted critics embraced the film from the start, however, including Vincent Camby, yeah. Roger Ebert, Pauline Kael, Rex Ryan. Kind of every all the legends were just yeah. into it immediately, which I think shows that people recognized how culturally important it was from the start, especially people who yeah were influential in culture. But you have to realize too with Ebert, and I don't know about Kale, but Ebert's like just starting out as a critic mm-hmm. around this point, and Kale probably isn't too far into it either. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're again they're kind of going with this like new era of like yes, this is great, let's push it forward. Um, Rex Ryan had a private screening of the film arranged by Peckinpah in New York. Um, four people were present at that, including um, 
the Times, uh, Time Magazine's critic, uh, who brought along his friend, young director Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Uh, and he recalls that everyone sat in silence after the film ended. He said, we were mesmerized by it. It was obviously a masterpiece. It was real filmmaking using film in such a way that no other form could do it. It couldn't be done any other way. To see that in an American filmmaker was so exciting. And that's that's kind of the real legacy of The Wild Bunch is its influence on other filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, John Milius saw the film in theaters and immediately told his friend George Lucas to go the next day. Catherine Bigelow names it as one of her top five favorite films. Michael Mann has cited it as one of the greatest films of all time. And Paul Schrader calls it one of his greatest influences, saying it, it was the film that showed him that he should use his writing to explore topics that made him uncomfortable. So if that's the movie that convinced Schrader to do that, imagine all the movies we never would have gotten <laughs> otherwise. You know, a, a alternate universe where Schrader only makes uh, puppies and, and rainbow movies yeah and, and like Taylor Swift musicals or something probably he'd, he'd probably do that nowadays maybe I don't know um one person who decidedly did not care for the film however was John Wayne he was infuriated you, you by don't this movie say. <laughs> <laughs> and he said it ruined the mythology of the west it was this one the two movies that I think were, were highly on his shit list were this and high noon he hated high noon as well um <laughs> he didn't like anything he had this whole thing about like the west was the true america it was like 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 we've said with stagecoach this idea yeah. was like it was rugged individualism and he and anytime somebody made a movie that was like outlaws shooting each other in the back he was like no no yeah. that's not my west um that's not my west but or like are think, the, are the, the townspeople not wanting to help gary come on yeah. it's america we help each other uh, here John Wayne had the last laugh, however, as True Grit, which had come out a week before The Wild Bunch, would eventually win him an Oscar for Best Actor that year. He was up against um, uh, Peter O'Toole for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Both leads both leads from Midnight Cowboy were nominated. Yeah, Voight and Hoffman. In the same yeah. category. They, you don't do that anymore. You don't see that anymore. No. Uh, Hoffman would definitely be in Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Yep. Modern day. Um. The Wild Bunch would be nominated for Best Screenplay and Best Score, but win nothing. And it is now one of the few films on the AFI's top 100 list, it's sitting at 79, to have no Best Picture, Best Director, or Best Acting nominations. Wow, that's actually kind of crazy. And But Butch, Butch Cassidy got a nomination, I see, yep. for Best Picture. Um, a 1993 home video release would restore Peckinpah's original cut. And was almost slapped with an NC-17, but managed to get away without it. Really? Um, but very few, uh, like the theatrical, cut, the theatrical cut is kind of gone. Like Warner Brothers dropped Good. that cut. So you can't really find that one anymore without the flashbacks. Burn it. <laughs> um, so, Brandon, first time Wild yeah. Bunch watcher. Yeah. What what works in this movie? Um, I mean... I think that the set pieces work tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's incredibly directed. Uh, I think the casting is superb. I think again, the, I think every actor in this. We haven't even talked about Ben Johnson. I think Ben Johnson's great for. Ben Johnson is, is great, and, and and now you realize how much makeup was put on him for Last Picture Show. Yeah, I know. I was I had I that thought like, rewatching it last night. I was, and how many times <laughs> I've seen this movie, I'm like, this is two years two between years this and Last Picture Show, and that's that's sam the lion yeah like, I, it's cause insane because i'm watching it and i because i saw i was like oh ben johnson's movie and i'm waiting i was like 
where is he? And then I look it up. I go, oh shit, that's Ben Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he, like he's he's and I, young. I think he was still fifty in this, but like he he, he and and Lyle are like the youngins in the yeah. group. You know, it's, yeah. you know, they're the ones that still have some vigor in them. Yeah, but like he, it's like I don't know if it's the it's the beard that makes him so, look so young, but like mm-hmm. I, I guess it's like it's because his skin looks so much better than everyone else in this movie. <laughs> like everyone else is just like cracks. Like there's just like it's like they have crevices in their in their faces, like. Like William Holden is is fifty years old, I think, in this movie, and like mm. he looks like he's in his mid sixties to like to like yeah, he looks old. I love that. I love that shot of when you were talking about when they come marching down, like the final group of them. Yeah, Ben Johnson's just like cradling his gun. He yeah. like doesn't even have his finger on the trigger. It's just so casual. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. All right, we're coming to town, baby. Yeah. No, but yeah, he's great. Um, no, the casting is great. Uh, I, you can really tell. That even though it's not Peck and Paul's like first film, it has this young man like energy to it in a way. Mm-hmm. He's out to prove this is he's out to prove something. It, yeah. It's such an interesting voice because as we've covered, like he was entrenched in this genre and so mm-hmm. obviously had ideas to change things. And yeah. this was the first time he really had the ability to do it. Yeah. And and you feel that you feel that like this is someone who is, who's who's swinging for a home run mm-hmm. when he comes up to the plate and like, yeah, and, and it's almost it almost feels like you know it's thought into it. It almost feels like it's all based on instinct in a way. Um, but yeah, the zooms, the the snap zooms, the editing, like what I find so interesting about that opening with the kind of like you're talking about the credits of how it does like something happens and then titles or whatever that feels like a very old school thing but with a new mm-hmm. twist to it what they do it's just interesting mm-hmm. um but yeah i think all that work i mean cast great uh uh visually technically it's great um yeah it, it is kind of a good kind of defining moment for the end slash beginning of something mm-hmm. so yeah anything else or what about you anything else that i didn't say that worked for you like we said i think it was, it was kind of like right place and right time it took yeah peck and pot working almost 20 years in the genre yeah and and it took that you know that that is such a the we've talked about this before i think when we talked about last picture show but like that like 77 or like 60 60 67 68 to like 72 is such an insane time for filmmaking because it's like these actors a lot of the times it's the actors from from classical hollywood yeah working with these young people who are just like i'm gonna change everything yeah and and so it's still some of these movies still kind of feel like old hollywood movies you're like oh yeah there's there's William holden like oh yeah Yeah, sunset boulevard and then you sit down and you're like oh my god this is this is insane um so i I think this is this is one of the great ones of that era but it's it's such an interesting era in film to see and you said to I, I think I don't know if we talked about this, but we talked about the kind of the Hayes Code mm-hmm. uh, was right before this. The Hayes Code actually ended in 1968, so it's mm-hmm. a year before this. So that's where like where people felt like they could push the limits, yeah, of of this rating uh, or of, of of the content in a film. And Wild Bunch feels almost like a direct, like again, that was a direct answer to to the spaghetti westerns, but it feels like a direct kind of like. Oh, cool. We have more leeway. Let's push and see how far we can go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
What doesn't work here? Um, I I almost agree with Robert Ryan. I wish he was in here in here more. <laughs> I said it before that I really wish there was some sort of moment between them, uh, between Holden and him. I feel like because I feel like Ryan also too. I don't think Ryan has the same type of players that that Holden has in terms of his mm-hmm. crew. I think Holden's crew is way more interesting mm-hmm. and yeah. Ryan's crew is not interesting at all to me compared yeah. to, in comparison. So he doesn't have much to work with, I think. And also that's kind of the point of his character too. I'm, I'm aware of that, yeah. but I feel like he had, he needed, I wish he had something more to do. That's why I was like, man, like, towards the end, I was like, man, what's Robert Ryan's just kind of like here in the movie. You have a little bit of him in the opening in terms of like, complexities to his character but then he's just kind of there and then finally but finally it brings him in at the very end where i think he has one of the best moments in the movie Mm -hmm. of when he shows up with those guys and gets um uh pike's revolver and goes and sits out um in in the uh by the kind of by kind of the the the, uh the or the village or whatever and then he has one of the best scenes with sykes at the end Mm -hmm. when it's the like kind of all right where are we going to next like let's i'm getting the group let's go and so it's he's aware the end is near but i might as well keep going because there's not much else for me to do in my life yep i'm headed so in I, the same direction as those guys i just yeah chipped off on the back of horses but yeah i've got I, no other I, my, choice my, at this point my, my train's a little late is what it is mm-hmm. um so yeah but I, so i, I it's, it's i'm conflicted so i i wish he had more and i wish there was some sort of moment with him and holden but I, I don't know how that affects the overall movie. Mm-hmm. I think just personally, I love Robert Ryan, and I think he he could he could been more uh, impactful in certain moments of the film. And my, again, yeah. it might just be the cast that surround him in that side. It's just that side wasn't as interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Is the thing. So yeah, that's that's part of the reason I was excited for you to check this one out for the first time because I knew you yeah, like Robert Ryan and, oh, yeah, and Robert I knew you liked William Holden. Yeah, both 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 amazing actors. But it's like I don't I don't mean again I don't like throwing around the term underrated, but those those are two people I just love kind of seeing in things. Mm-hmm. And Robert, I think it's like Holden was in some like stone cold classics, and then I mean talk about a guy who's in Sunset Boulevard, Bridge the River Kwai, like uh, Sabrina and Sog mm-hmm. Seventeen, Network, mm-hmm. like the man was in some like amazing films. And then Robert Ryan's kind of like this, almost a B movie god with all the like noir films he was in, and 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 kind of war films and cowboy films. I just I think he was I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, do, do anything not work for th- you? Trying to think of anything. Do you do you think Edmund O'Brien laughs a few too many times in this movie? <laughs> or are you happy with the amount of times he laughs in this? I think the I, I do think the like laughing it's scene over top. It's over at the, the top. hideout. The laughing scene towards the beginning at the hideout when, 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 when they find the washers it. and he's like, hey, yeah. hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a like just he sounds like have a, a crazier old man than what that character actually is. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm just saying, is this just a dude that knows that like is it just like hanging out here and they I, realize I, he's I, kind I, of part of the gang? I, I I heard I was listening to the um the unspooled. Uh-huh. Uh, podcast on this and i think they brought it up they were like evan o'brien is almost playing walter brennan in this scene like oh, in, or yeah. in, this, in this movie in general 
they're just like play kooky old man but he's great i, I really like sykes because he because he, he's somebody that you know you, you kind of want to underestimate at the beginning and, yeah. and he is also i don't want to say a moral compass at all but he, yeah. he is somebody who's who's kind of like resigned to like those were the good old days and now and now yeah. they're gone yeah yeah i mean i i think you know there's 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 moments there, there's some shots in this movie and i'm like oh why'd they go with that shot but but it's it's all part of kind of like the experimental feel of this i, I wouldn't say like I, I i wouldn't ask for a more refined cut of this movie you know i agree um, i agree it's it's almost like the flaws make it more appealing because yeah. that's what set it apart the the violence as well but but yeah, yeah. kind of that's what makes it go like oh man this was a studio western yeah released a week after true grit <laughs> and that's that's what that like turn of the 60s into the 70s yeah. uh, that is that is it truly illustrated in in movie theaters yeah and i read too that like a peck and pasta was also like trying to it is in response to the vietnam war that was happening in mm -hmm. terms of like senseless violence and that was kind of why it was it's like hey we're i'm seeing worse on television mm -hmm. uh now from the news i can relate to that i get that yeah. um anyone to showcase some in in the film so yeah um okay so moving on to alternate universe cast because there is a lot oh wow um you know it was a, it was a, like we said it was a studio film like you you know, you think of it as kind of this like you know it, it, peck and paw was was an upstart and whatnot but it was he still had warner brothers backing so they <laughs> were they were seeing people for this that that you know they were seeing everyone for this so yeah. for pike they brought in sterling hayden yeah. uh on again off again peck and paw friend charlton heston <laughs> burt lancaster lee marvin robert mitchum gregory peck and james stewart Oh, Jimmy Stewart would not do this movie. No way. No way in hell Jimmy Stewart did this movie. Um, Lee Marvin actually accepted the role. A lot of this film was cast. Peckinpah loved The Dirty Dozen. And yeah, a yeah. lot of this film was, he was just like, I want, Ernest Borgnine was pulled from there. Yeah. Um, but so Marvin actually accepted the role, but was offered more money to make Paint Your Wagon. So I can't imagine <laughs> two more different movies. Oh, man. Um, Clint Eastwood musical. Yeah. <laughs> For the role of Deke Thornton, um, Richard Harris, and Brian Keith, both people who Peck and Pod worked with before, okay. were considered. Um, Harris says he was never formally approached. David Keith, or Brian, sorry, Brian, Brian Keith, Keith was asked, but it turned it down to work on another project. Um, Ryan Robert Ryan was also cast because of Peck and Pod's love for the Dirty Dozen. Yeah. Um, they also considered Henry Fonda, Glenn Ford. Ben Johnson, who they kept yeah. in mind, obviously, and Arthur Kennedy for yeah. the role of yeah. Deke Thornton. Glenn, Glenn Ford would have been an interesting one. I think that's the mm -hmm. best pick. I think it, when looking at the, the people you said, I think Glenn Ford might be the best pick for that role, and I think Mitchum might be the best pick for for Holden's role. Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, people considered for Dutch were Charles Bronson, Jim Brown, Alex Cord, Robert Culp, Sammy Davis Jr., <laughs> Steve McQueen and George Papard. Yeah. Man, Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> That's a that you can you can make one like comical film, I think, with some of these people you're putting in. It's like <laughs> um, um interesting. And then probably the the biggest sliding doors moment was the studio really wanted Robert Blake to play on hell. Okay. 
and and apparently we're like peck and pa wanted a latino actor and they were like no we have to get robert blake in this role but ultimately blake asked for too much money which is the only you know if the studio wants you that's the only way to turn the studio off really but um uh so peck and pa won out and he cast jaime sanchez after seeing him in sydney lumet's the the pawnbroker he was very impressed with his performance in that yeah i didn't watch the pawnbroker but i know from from the editor um it's it's like he talked about how like that that movie has kind of like ahead of its time editing with how mm-hmm. it does memory and i could see how there's similarities of that flashback style a little bit in here in this movie so that makes yeah. sense so a couple of film facts we've covered a lot of them I, I i pulled a lot of them up into the script but uh a couple other facts the three actresses who bathe in the wine with ben johnson and mara notes were actually sex workers from a nearby mexican brothel okay uh, after casting them, Peckinpah gleefully wrote a letter to Warner Brothers telling them that he had paid for the film, paid to hire hookers with the film's money. Was Jack Warner still around this place at that time? <laughs> I would love to see that 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 uh that thing. We'll see with Jack Warner. Jack Warner probably was still running it at the time. Okay, good to know. <laughs> good to know. Uh, the song "Shall We Gather at the River" was a trademark of John Ford's, who included it in almost all of his films. Uh, Peck and Pa envisioned the scene in which Bo Hopkins forces the bank hostages to sing it as a way to establish early on that this wasn't your John Ford's version of the Wild West. Uh, he asked Bo Hopkins if he knew the song so that he could sing it, and Hopkins had never heard of it before. So Bo Hopkins stayed up all night the night before shooting, memorizing the entire song, and they shot a scene and they they shot footage of Bo Hopkins making the hostages sing the whole song. Yeah shout out bo hopkins he just recently passed away a few days ago mm-hmm. before, uh south carolina native i don't know if you know this mm-hmm. greenville yep. but a really talented actor he he was great in um a movie i love well he's great in american graffiti for one mm-hmm. which is a few years later. he's also great in sort of like if you can if you can find it great film the nickel ride is what it is hmm. uh the kind of neo-noir la movie that it's a little lesser known but it's really kind of a fantastic little crime crime drama with uh, bo hopkins and jason miller that Robert Mulligan did to kill Mockingbird directed. Anyway. Uh, Ernest Borgnine broke his foot on the film before this one and had to wear a cast for almost the whole filming. Um, They were very careful to cut around it because it, because it was a plot point that Pike has a limp because he was shot in the leg by his lover's husband. So they were like, you can't, you can't Dutch can't have a limp. We can't have like both of our lead guys have a limp. Yeah. So they did a lot of work to get around that. Wow. That's difficult. Um, our final and probably most bizarre fact for this film, uh, Albert Decker, who plays the role of the uh, railroad man who, quote unquote, hires Deke to track down the gang. Oh, died yes. mysteriously just after returning home from filming this project. I think the project was still mm-hmm. shooting, he, mm-hmm. but he wrapped and went home. He was found by his wife naked in his bathtub, hanging uh-huh. from the shower curtain rod. He was blindfolded and handcuffed. There was a ball gag in his mouth and he had two hypodermic needles in his arm and his body was covered in expletives written in red lipstick. Yep. As the bathroom door was locked from the inside when he was discovered, police listed it as a suicide or accident and did not investigate any further. So it's going to be kind of crazy. This is one of those fascinating things to me because I've heard this story before mm-hmm. and I think I, I, I don't think you remember it, but I, I said in the text message one time, I was like in our group text uh, with the other guys, I was like, I just read the most interesting story yeah. about this random actor from this random movie that, and this, the story is way more interesting than the actual film I watched. And it's his, 
it's his thing it's albert decker's mm-hmm. thing because i was just like oh that's like a murder or something yeah that, that occurred yeah. Uh, and that no one talked about. It's just, uh, it's it's fascinating. It's it's one of those things when you when you listen to it, or when you read a lot of true crime, it, there, there's a lot of stuff that was like kind of outside the boundaries of you know quote unquote normal sexual behavior, and cops would just like roll up on the scene and be like, "Ooh, that's icky. Ooh, no," and like just like yeah, close the case as soon as possible. Yeah. And it's like this is obviously this guy did not handcuff himself no <laughs> put a ball gag in his mouth yeah. and then put two hyperdark needle- needles in his arm and then write in lipstick over his body it's not yeah. possible so either yeah. oh. it was just it was a bad sex act gone wrong and with someone and someone was he was with or someone like some but someone out there knows what someone happens. knows what happened to this this man yeah. uh and yeah i yeah that's it's it's a yeah, I, I read that and I was just like, what the hell? Because there's you you hear weird stories like that all the time back then. It's just co- sometimes it's covered up very well. Mm-hmm. But because he wasn't that much of a well-known actor, it's just kind of like the detail is just crazy. Yeah, crazy to me. Um. All right. So any uh, any story questions other than what happened to Albert Decker? I'm, gl- I'm glad that you know you're on the same page you know the story with me as well because like yeah. I'm like no one cares about this but me because <laughs> it's so fascinating what, what, like just the the aftermath of that uh story questions um let's see oh here's one thing I, I, may I miss this but like when did Angel get like all those like rebel soldiers together because it felt like there was a jump and maybe I I, I looked away quickly in this movie you know what i mean because they show up at like kind of that cavern or whatever and he has mm-hmm. all the men at around the, him at, the, at their camp yeah but like, like previous scene they were all together like talking about the dynamite i was like how did all these people show up all of a sudden yeah i mean i think i don't think like on went and got them like he yeah he had, at some point once they had agreed to let him keep the guns he had reached out to because it's it's the the freedom fighters from his village yes um but it just came very quickly and I, it was just yeah. like a little bit of a jump because i was like wait and I don't, I wasn't sure what they were doing, so maybe I missed something in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a little like confused in that. Um, yeah, they got they got the jump on them. Uh, this was well speaking speaking of the freedom fighters. Do do Sykes and Pike, or Sykes and Deke? Yeah. Do they join in like yeah. with Pancho Villa, or do they hijack this like freedom fighting gang and turn them into? bank robbers yeah. instead i was wondering that too i was like dude because because he's with when they're leaving together they're with the people from the village like mm-hmm. that older guy who's talking about on hell's when we told he went told on hell about his lover going for mapache um also another brutal scene is when he just straight up shoots that woman yes when it's it's and who who was it that's like kind of like oh that's not your woman she's like has tongue all in his ear right over there was that warren that, Oates? It was, that was lyle yeah lyle yeah like he was yeah he was pushing him on and then they just also you know they're just like oh no he didn't mean to kill mapache he meant to kill her she's yeah and then he says like sunovia and then they just start everyone laughs, laughs which is just like oh man these people are even worse than yeah than, than these guys than the, guy, than the gang yeah um yeah, but I wonder what happened. All like, this, they, who do they get in that gang at the end? Like, where, like they become a little more organized because it feels mm-hmm. just like a bunch of dudes who are like, we're all riding together now, and it, it's an interesting mix. And like, you feel like Robert Ryan and Sykes will definitely be the leaders of that gang because they've been mm-hmm. they've seen the most in terms of outlaw activity. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the little. I mean, this is not a question, but I like the little kind of thing that, that, that Bo Hopkins was like the was it the nephew or something of, yeah. of Sykes. Sykes, Sykes's nephew. He's like, hey, how how did he do? And it's like this moment where you can tell that Deke's kind of like, oh man, I feel bad. I like left him yeah, to die. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know he was your nephew, but it's like Sykes is just kind of like, ah, it's fine if he's dead. Like I just want to <laughs> make sure he didn't let you down. Yeah, he did a good job. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Um. Yeah, uh, no, that's kind of the only question I kind of have. Well, I guess I, I would. I mean, it might be interesting to kind of go more into like. I mean, it's it's good because you don't know this, but like the whole more of that other affair that Holden had with that mm-hmm. woman. I, I would like to see him yeah. like know more what happened there. Like, I mean, he said he he said he was going to marry her, so it's like yeah. this thing was like was that his was that his chance to settle down? It's like you know, yeah. I feel like every every heist movie or bank robber movie or anything's always like oh she was she was the one that would She's have made one. me walk away from it all yeah well is she again is she um stagecoach is she like it's like is that his like john wayne driving off in the mm-hmm. sunset moment and then that happened with claire trevor um yeah i know that was that was just kind of a little little side thing that's very very interesting to me all right well awards Beatrice Strait Award for the actor or actress with limited scenes that kills it. Oh, I do want to go back. Yeah. What didn't work? Not sure how I feel about this film's treatment of, of women. I, I, yeah. I think it's I think there's a dividing line between how the people in the film treat women and how the film itself feels about women. And yeah. there's a there's a weird there's a weird line in between the two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's good. Thank you. Thanks for going back. That's like you have the, like one being trampled by a horse, but you also have like a lot of the women just get shot like, mm-hmm. they, like they get shot pretty like like it's it's again it's the it's the lover that's with mapachi that's on hell's lover it's the it's the woman uh the woman that tries that shoots holden in the, in the shoulder or whatever mm-hmm. uh and that and in that scene so yeah you have yeah it's it's not yeah no there's really no good portrayals of a woman in this movie no and i mean i guess you could go the other way and say there's not really any men who are portrayed well in this movie that's uh, fair but they have way more dialogue is the i guess thing. there's no one who's there's there is no morally upright person in this movie no matter what um yeah. but yes so the beatrice straight award actor actress with limited scenes that kills it um it's an interesting division in this in this movie because yeah because that because because I really only I will I mean I only see like really one lead personally. Mm. Uh and that's Holden. Yeah. So I feel like everyone else is going to be supporting or in this. Um in my mind and maybe because I just love him and that is Bo Hopkins. I really love mm. Bo Hopkins anything I see him in. Um so for being straight my vote is kind of Bo Hopkins. And let I mean you could also argue and another person we talked about was the was uh alfonso aro or mm-hmm. uh, who play, i just i keep saying el guapo from free amigos but um he's also really good yeah so those are kind of my two nominations here is alfonso and, and Bo. yeah i i agree i agree with those two nominations um i i would probably go Bo in this although i am a big fan of alfonso aro yeah um but yeah, let's let's give it to Bo Hopkins. Yeah, but just just for like literally there in the opening, and I remember I was like, oh, we have Bo Hopkins this movie, and now I'm waiting. I was like, oh, this is all we're gonna see of him. Yep, Great. he's not gonna make it. Yeah, and I do know knowing what Alfonso around that my 
dad if you want to see my dad just like crack up laughing you show him <laughs> the scene when they get to his house in in romancing the stone he's like oh no I, I don't have a car i just have my little mule and then they come bursting out in that like monster truck <laughs> i kill him now no hold him here as long as you can until after the shooting starts i'll hold him to hell freezes over or you say different for the annie potts x-factor award yeah the supporting actor that is the most memorable a lot of good people for this category a lot yes. of good people for this category i think you could do anyone from the gang plus and robert ryan plus robert ryan um my top two are robert ryan and eris borgnine yes i um, think so ben johnson's a close third cl- but, close but third Warren Oates oh. needs a little bit more. I think Warren, Warren Oates is not getting, given enough time to Warren Oates in this movie. Like mm-hmm. I feel like he's 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 there. Um, and the thing, okay, so Borden and Ryan, I think the two things that come into play is I think we talked about the scene with him, um, kind of having arguing with Holden about about Deke, about Ryan's character, about the the who he made his his word, who, who whose word he mm-hmm. gave to it. And then Ryan's Ryan is his ending scene. Mm-hmm. I think those are kind of your two. I like if you're talking about an Oscar moment that you play or whatever, or that puts you over, that's their two moments. And I'm trying to decide which one I like more. Mm-hmm. I think Ryan's and which is why I'm kind of leaning towards Ryan's that Ryan's literally sums up the whole movie. And if that, scene doesn't work for him and it's all kind of told without much dialogue if that doesn't work for him the whole movie kind of doesn't have that emotional impact you hope for at the end of it mm-hmm. but scene wise and dialogue wise i think borna has possibly the best scene in the movie so those are my I, two things i my my vote's borgnine i love okay. him in this i i love he does this little like yeah, like like we were saying, that little like smile and like giggle when they think they've yeah. gotten away with it yeah. at the end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. And and I think he's just such a good character in this, and 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 maybe it's me trying to cling to like some manner of traditional storytelling in no. this movie, like a like a shred of it. But like as as he's like the only person with like loyalty or any sort of moral compass in this, and I think yeah. he plays it so well. Um, yeah. And and, and yeah, Ryan's. I think Ryan is even a little bit more complex than that because he's someone who's obviously very uh, conflicted about what he has to do. It's his it's his life or their lives, but he also is not happy about being in that position. Yeah. But yeah, my my personal vote is for Ernest Borgnine. I will. I'm happy to Robert Ryan. I just got to do it. It's really All difficult. Right. I'm gonna go Robert Ryan on mine, so we'll split on that one. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll split the vote. I, I just I, I I think for me it's like Robert Ryan can do I said before can do so much with so little, and that's why I have to like kind of put him over a little bit. But Borgnine is phenomenal this movie, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's yeah it's a tie it's a tie. Damn that Deke Thornton to hell! What would you do in his place? He gave his word. Gave his word to a railroad. It's his word. That ain't what counts. It's who you give it to. So finally, we have the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries this movie, and that is Sam Peckinpah. It's Sam Peckinpah. I yeah. love William Holden, uh, but 
I, I think sometimes we, we are precedents that we kind of side with the director with certain things that like when it's such a what's more important, who's more, who, who's it more important to? I think mean, it's way more important to Peckinpah. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just, it, it, it's not a William Holden movie. It's a Sam Peckinpah movie. It's kind yeah. of the thing. Um, and this and this is a movie that will have its like fingerprints on so many things that follow it. Like, yes. you know, you can't you can't watch this movie and not think about a Quentin Tarantino movie or even, you know, a little a little less prominent, but an S. Craig Zoller movie. Um, I've, I would say like a, a Tony Scott movie. Yeah. <laughs> In a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about in Tony Scott month, how many of those ended with a with a giant shootout yeah. where everybody gets killed. And Tony Scott was going to remake this movie at yes. one point before before he passed away. Yes. Um, so it has very Tony Scott vibes. I know. It's, I think it's one of Michael Mann's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing talking about men with codes. All of in Michael Mann's movies, all of, all his characters kind of have a code in some mm-hmm. way of, regarding their work. And I think it's the same way here with these guys. Yeah. Doing one last job. Yeah, one last job. So yeah, I think I think it's Sam Peckinpah. Sam Peckinpah, hundred percent. They expect to find you here. Why not? I sent him back. That's all I said I'd do. They didn't get very far. I figured. What are your plans? Drift around down here. Try to stay out of jail. Well, me and the boys here, <laughs> we got some work to do. You want to come along? It ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of speaking of Tony Scott, when we're heading into our our recasting of this i did i did want to bring up the many iterations oh, of the, the wild bunch remake so uh in 2011 it was announced by warner brothers that they were remaking the wild bunch um screenwriter brian uh hedgeland is that how you yeah. say it yeah yeah who did uh, brian, uh, brian, la confidential, LA confidential. Yeah, yeah uh was going to direct was going to write the script tony scott was going to direct it after tony scott's death they put mm-hmm. the project into limbo in 2013 it was reported that will smith was in talks to star in and produce a remake however it was going to be an a, an updated version involving drug cartels and following a disgraced DEA, dea agent who assembles a team to go after a mexican drug lord and his fortune in 2015 a uh, hollywood insider website announced that jonathan jakubovics was hired to direct the remake uh-huh he I, I i he did hands of stone oh is that that's the miles tower boxing boxing movie yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah yeah i didn't see that that was also rumored to be a remake updating the story to a contemporary setting revolving around the cia dangerous drug cartels and a thrilling heist set against the backdrop of the southern california mexico border yeah, I, I just uh, at don't, that I don't, point, I don't like that. I don't like the present day Wild Bunch. But that's just me. At, at that point, it was announced that it was going to be an adaptation of previous drafts written by Brian Helgeland and and adapted by David Ayer. Yeah. And then 2018, 
was announced that Mel Gibson was co-writing and directing a new version of The Wild Bunch. And while he has not confirmed that it's building off of any of those scripts, he has said in an interview, not sure if it's still in the works, but he did yeah. say in an interview that it was not going to be a Western. So sounds like they're still sticking with this idea of like a, a modern drug movie, which I don't feel like you could do something interesting. Like I, I understand some people are like, that's, that's the way to do it. Like don't try and make it its own movie, but like, I don't know. I feel like you could do something. Well, talk later this month about western remakes but yeah it, it is a genre that is so full of tropes that to, to remake one i think is still an opportunity to change it but yeah i mean i, I west side story is kind of this prime example of recently yeah. i thought i thought oh no you can't remake it in this in this context but i think spielberg no matter how you feel i think does it tremendously well absolutely so that being said if you were to remake this as a western today who would you cast in this all right. Uh, I have everyone but Bo, well, I have everyone but Bo Hopkins. This kind of thing. Um, okay, that's all right. So we'll go. We'll go with Sykes first. Um, I have Bill Pullman for Sykes. Oh, okay. The age, the age here, the ages are so out there because, like, here's the thing: I'm not cat. People who look like they're in their who are 50 now do not mm -hmm. look like William Holden and Robert no. Ryan. So I'm no. having to go a little bit older. So the ages are kind of all uh, yeah, out of You cast Tom here. Cruise in this, everybody's going to be like, he's not old enough to yeah, play this. It's like I was looking at Pitt, and I'm like, I was like, maybe Pitt, but he he doesn't look the age. I mean, even though he is they're like in their 60s, but yeah. So I, I was trying to look for Grizzly no, I like or whatever. That. Have, you seen, have you seen Lefty Brown? I wasn't a huge fan of it. But I haven't it seen was... it, but I know, I know Pullman's in it. And, I know and he's, he's got kind of the beard. beard. Yeah. That's kind of what I was going for, yeah. So I, I want to put Bill Pullman in Western that people actually – C is the thing. Mm -hmm. No, no offense to that. Um, for on hell, I went with David Alvarez from West Side Story hmm. as on hell. Okay. Nice. I think I like it'd be good. Okay, we'll go with Warren Oates. I have mm -hmm. two picks here. Okay, one we mentioned I think in Stagecoach. I believe I can't remember if we settled on him, but that's Walton Goggins. Okay, I think Walton Goggins is a very good kind of uh modern day kind of warren oats in a way mm -hmm. yeah i can see um, that for sure another pick of sam rockwell okay yeah absolutely both both done westerns yeah in the past and been very good in them so yeah i back that either of those okay either of those okay uh ben johnson or ben johnson's role um detector what a name detector shea wiggum great i'm sold okay do walton goggins you reunite the vice principals cast <laughs> um so i have borgnine borgnine or yeah i have a uh, dutch deke and pike who do you want let's do dutch and then let's we'll do, do deke and pike yeah okay um i don't know how it'd be but if it was a few years ago maybe but john goodman was on this list for Ernest okay. borgnine role and for me my other pick is bokeem woodbine oh, okay for 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 dutch i like that let, let me let me pitch you one yeah, i had no you one. know what let me hold it i might step on i might step on your later one but i like i you know i'm always down for bokeem woodbine you probably won't go ahead and tell me go and tell, tell me paul giamatti okay so i thought about paul giamatti but i felt i picked paul giamatti too much i felt like he was my glenn powell in this that I keep okay. cooking, but Paul Giamatti is actually. I will go with Paul Giamatti. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Paul Giamatti because right. I love Paul Giamatti. And I was just like, no, I feel like I keep putting him in stuff. I keep, I, I keep, <laughs> I keep trying to pull him out of Billions World and put him in a in a movie. But Paul Giamatti, 
invoking Woodbine guy on my side. I'll go Paul Giamatti. He makes the most sense. All right. For Deke, for Robert Ryan's character, mm-hmm. Billy Bob Thornton. Perfect. Okay. I think Billy Bob can like easily take like no words like Robert mm-hmm. Ryan. And, and I think he just has a, a great face and can really. Yeah, you said it. I immediately saw him sitting with his back up to the, to the yep. wall at the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So for, for Pike, um, I actually think a top for person for this is Mel Gibson is the thing. So I think <laughs> Gibson would be great in that role. Um, going off of that, the one that I keep coming back to, and I don't know, I don't know how it would be, but I keep coming back to Clooney for this. Okay. I wonder if he's too how put this too much of a movie star, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like it's kind of the whole Brad Pitt Tom Cruise thing. I was like, does can Clooney play this rugged mm-hmm. character? And I'm not sure. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that he can. Can he do it and not like like cohen it up, you know? Yeah, exactly. Can can he do it in a in a real way? So yeah, that's what I'm not I'm not sure about. Um another pick I had was um uh Woody Harrelson. Oh, okay. Is Woody Harrelson. I like Woody. I think another pick I didn't want to put him because I think he plays it too similar, but Costner is also an easy pick to go with here. Mm. Um, what about Cranston? I thought about Cranston can he, too. Can he carry it? Can he I carry want, a movie? Yeah, I was wondering if Cranston where to put Cranston in this. I think Cranston can carry a movie. Um, I'm trying to think because we I think we picked him for last week too. Cran, so be Cranston, Paul Giamatti is your thing. Is Give your, me, I mean, if you're making this ten years ago, I feel like you just call Ed Harris immediately. But he might be a little too old for this. He's a little one, too old. He's in Westworld. He's in like some of the other ones. Speaking of that, Vigo Mortensen might not be a bad guy for for because mm. I think oh, he yeah. Ap- Appalo- Appalooza with the uh, with Ed yes. Harris I think yeah yeah okay you know, so you which- know who else has done a western or two uh, Russell Crowe I ha- I thought Russell Crowe too because I was trying my best to stay away from with westerns but I feel like everyone I pick is like has been in a western of some kind you know what? I screw it let's go Russell Crowe I want to see Russell Crowe in this all right let's do I Russell like Crowe all uh, right great. For, for for Pike. All right. So we got Bill Pullman as Sykes. David Alvarez is on hell. Um Shea Wiggum is as um Tector. Um Walton Goggins or Sam Rockwell? Walton Goggins or Sam Rockwell for, for Warren Oates. Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, okay. Uh for for Dutch we have Paul Giamatti. For Deke, we have Billy Bob Thornton. And for Pike, we decided upon Russell Crowe. All right. Mm-hmm. That's a cast. Yep. That's a cast. I'm sold. All right. Uh, so does this fit with any other genres other than a Western? I mean, you could probably argue it's kind of somewhat of a heist movie in a way mm-hmm. with the opening. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like it's the, the heist. It's the whole, we talked about how with heist genre, it's the aftermath of it that always makes it interesting. And you have mm-hmm. kind of two big aftermaths in this movie after the first bank heist and after the train robbery. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the aftermath. So I think if it's in the heist, I don't really know much else you could say. I mean, it's not really a road trip movie. They are traveling a little bit. It's not really a road trip movie in, in a way. Yeah. It's kind of like unwillingly a war movie. I mean, these guys have been yeah. kind of sucked into a war without wanting to be part of it at all. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. But yeah. 
And it's a movie about aging. And it's about aging. That's very true. Um, so how does this fit within our, our Western genre as a whole? Yeah, I mean, we talked about how this is we're, this is kind of the first part of our like revisionist Western uh, study within the Western genre. And it's just top tier of that. I think you have the kind of the effects of you're taking the characters that you know, the outlaws and and you're twisting them enough. You're you're seeing a different perspective. It's you're taking these usually good guy in white, bad guy in and and black and making them all gray. You're mm-hmm. making them and making Robert Ryan character who's who's a law enforcement type role but is actually an outlaw um as well and then you have all these outlaws together. So mm-hmm. it's it's very interesting how again with this genre you have to kind of showcase the changing of the times both in the period you're doing and also the period of to of when you're making it and i think yeah, this movie yeah. does it very well of of showcasing what's ha- what's happening in the world both in a world perspective like uh what's happening out there but also what's happening in terms of filmmaking and cinema mm-hmm. i think the, i think wild bunch represents that very well and showcases yeah. the changing of the time times in several different ways yeah and um, i mean it, it, you've got this movie is within the narrative is saying you know these guys are obsolete yeah. the world has changed yeah and it's moved past these guys and in in that way peck and pa is saying you know the way that we have made film in general but also yeah. westerns is obsolete we got to move past them and then you can you, the whole idea of like what's happening to america at that time it's like we're not the country where world war ii and post world yeah. war ii exactly we're, we're, we're not the good changing guys world. yeah we're in a changing world uh it's like, and also, to, and again, talk about politically with the war stuff. It's like in World War Two, everyone's happy to go, not happy, but like, it is more of a rah rah. Let's go fight for our country. There, there were War clear II. cut lines. You could point at the Nazis yes. and go, "Those are the bad, bad guys. guys, good <laughs> guys over here." Yeah. And then you get to Vietnam, you're like, "No, no, no, what are we doing here?" And you're also looking at this kind of middle of civil rights, post civil, or really in the middle of civil rights in '69. You're looking at a lot of just just horrific events that have occurred in America with assassinations. It's a very different period. And John Wayne's Western, no matter what people say about if True Grit does well or whatever, uh, and those Westerns of that period, Western or the world, America is changing. And those ideals are not the same anymore. And mm-hmm. the film has to represent that. And it, it does that. And it shepherds in kind of, it helps shepherd in a new era of filmmaking. And it's right when Hollywood studios are like, cool, we got to change up how we, what type of movies we should be making. So yeah, all right. Is that is that it on? I think that concludes the Wild Bunch. Thanks thanks for watching it. You're welcome. Thanks for picking it. I can finally mark it off my list of there you go of movies I should have seen a long time ago, um, <laughs> and I've now seen it. But next week, so Thomas, you're taking a little break these next two weeks. Um, we're doing the Good, Bad, and the Ugly next week. I'll have David David Glenn the Fourth coming back on here. Uh, I think third month in a row. Uh, to talk about the spaghetti westerns and as i said this feels like a direct reference or a direct answer to spaghetti westerns and next week we're gonna be talking about spaghetti westerns so stay tuned for that but that's all we have for you in this episode if you're a fan of the show or a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so that you can stay up to date on all our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on Apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise for review on whatever platform listen to the show on as as the poet Flo Rida once said <laughs> Hey, I heard you like the Wild Bunch. <laughs> so if you liked if you like the Wild Bunch episode, you know, 
leave us leave us a review about uh, how you thought it went oh god that was that was that was very unexpected thomas um and, and like thomas said yeah leave us a review tell us what you think we just had a recent review we'll read it out here from uh agent d cooper i think a very a big twin peaks fan maybe um, saying I've been following this podcast for a few years and it's great hearing people talk about movies this way they take the time to do some really great research and have interesting opinions on genres and tropes less about sensational hot takes and more authentic interpretations of the good and the bad about movie making from two people who clearly love film as an art form well thank you so much Agent T. Cooper and you mm-hmm. you all can can join uh, them in writing writing review for us and telling us stuff like that because that's a, that's a good confidence booster for us and we like hearing it but it also increases our visibility to listen on these podcast platforms so please do so do so five stars wonderful it'd be great um and finally don't forget to like and follow us on facebook twitter instagram tiktok all jazz as always thomas thank you for joining me thank you for having me and thank you all for listening hope you listen to more episodes soon bye